on this episode of Catholics in the Capital. On this episode, we'll be speaking to Ambassador Ray Flynn and Dr. Robin Smith. And at the bottom of the hour, we'll be speaking with Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews. So all this and more on Catholics in the Capital. Catholics in the Capital starts right now. Hi, I'm Christina Cox, your radio host, and I'm also the author of Catholics in Washington, D.C. I'd like to welcome you to my new show called Catholics in the Capital. You're listening to WMET 1160 AM, Guadalupe Radio Network. You know what this show is going to be about? It's about the city of Washington, D.C. We will be covering exciting and uplifting interviews about Catholics and Christian leaders from all walks of life who are visiting and working here in our nation's capital. They're going to be stories about saints and prayers, miracles, and things to do while visiting Washington, D.C. There'll be other news and events in, about in Virginia and Maryland, lots to do here. During this hour, we have some really exciting guests. I'm proud to announce Ambassador Raymond Flynn. And Ray was the former mayor of Boston and the former U.S. ambassador to the Holy See under President Bill Clinton. He's going to share with us what a role is like, an ambassador's role to be uh, uh, appointed to work between the U.S. president, our country, and go be- the go-between to, p- to the pope. I met uh, Ambassador Flynn because he used to come down to New York uh, quite a bit, and we had a party for him uh, just before he left to go to be appointed the ambassador to the Holy See. And we had some photos taken, and I wrote to him, and I said, I'm coming over to the Vatican to uh, to spend some time there. And, I, of course, I asked him, can I meet Pope John Paul? That was that was what I wanted to do, was to meet the Pope. And I was lucky enough to get a diplomatic audience, and, and uh, the Pope came down uh, from the altar, and... He gave me a special blessing. It was a wonderful time in my life, and um, I, I've been friends with uh, Ambassador Flynn ever since. He's a great author. He's written a book called The Accidental Pope, and he's working on some more scripts and things about his life. He also has a park named after him in Boston, where it's near the water, where the um, uh, Longshoremen's uh, Union used to pull up all the ships. He will share with us some news about the new appointee, Ambassador Clarista Gingrich. You won't want to miss that. Believe me, you have to hear the stories from Ambassador Flynn. Next, we're going to have Father Jack Hurley, who's in residence and a priest from the Cathedral of St. Matthews, the Apostle. And he's going to share with us about All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And he will tell us about the saints, like St. Martin de Porras and many others. He will warm our hearts with saints and prayers. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be at the bottom of the hour. And I'd like to tell you a little bit. I know Ambassador Flynn for many years. I met him in New York just before he went over to be appointed as the ambassador to the Vatican. And he had a very exciting role under uh, President Clinton. He was also essential for helping to arrange my personal visit with Pope John Paul, which I was given a blessing to later build the National Museum of Catholic Art and Library. And uh, that went back in 1992. 
Uh, and then Dr. Robin Smith uh, was just honored at our event at the Embassy of Italy at our gala, and she's an exciting guest. She has written a book called The Cells Are the New Cure. And Dr. Smith is a scientist, she's an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and a writer. And in her new book, she's going to tell us about some ways that we can better learn through adult STEM, adult research. And she's going to tell us the difference between what is adult STEM cell research. Later on, she'll discuss her partnership that is with the Vatican and her conference that would be coming up in 2018. So you're now listening to Christina Cox. I am the host of Catholics in the Capitol, and we will be picking up later to um, also talk with with uh, Dan, and he's going to share with us. We're going to chat up what to do in Washington, D.C. We're going to tell you about the exhibits that are going on and the events going on not to be missed. So stay tuned, and you will hear more about We'll be right back. This is Bishop Michael Burbage of the Catholic Diocese of Arlington. Whether priests or parents, siblings or coaches, everyone can and should be a role model. I have spoken with parents who will remember the first time their child copied one of their less than admirable characteristics. What a wake-up call. Someone always seems to be watching us, what we do and how we present ourselves, not just children, but fellow adults as well. So instead of shying away from this attention, let us embrace the fact that we can be role models for others. It is a good idea to look to historical figures, saints, or relatives as people we would like to emulate. There is also a role model that we can trust with absolute certainty, Jesus Christ, who tells us, as I have done, so must you do. Do you have a devotion to St. Padre Pio? If so, join the newly formed and diocesan-approved Padre Pio Prayer Group that meets the first Fridays of every month at St. Teresa Parish in Ashburn, Virginia. This group is part of the International Society of Padre Pio Prayer Groups from around the world that was started during Padre Pio's lifetime. All from around the DMV are invited to attend. For more information, go to stteresaparish.com. Thank you for listening to the Guadalupe Radio Network and being part of the family. As family, we have a duty to pray for each other, and we would be honored if you would let us pray with you and for you. You don't even have to tell us your name. Just go to our website, grnonline.com, or call our prayer request line and leave us a message at 800-395-4008. That's 800-395-4008. We will be praying for you every day. Instead of fighting the crowds, isn't it so much easier to hop online and do your shopping in the comfort of your own home? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you shop online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give a little extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network. A message from the website catholicsexuality.com. We all want a happy life with love, joy, and peace. 
and understanding of God's gift of sexuality is important to achieve our goals. Our website is in complete harmony with church teaching of God's gift, which beautifully leads to the happiness we seek. So come spend some time with us. Watch our videos alone or with loved ones. There are no charges. CatholicSexuality.com We're back on the air with Catholics in the Capitol. And it's my pleasure this afternoon to introduce a special guest, former U.S. Ambassador Raymond Flynn. And Raymond Flynn was an American politician who served as the 52nd mayor of Boston, Massachusetts, from 1984 until 1993, and he was later appointed as U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See from 1993 to 1997 by President Bill Clinton. His Excellency has had a long career in American politics and the Catholic Church, and it is my pleasure to welcome him here today. Christina, it's great to be on the program. Congratulations for having this opportunity of reaching so many people across the United States. I think we need to spread that good Catholic message to as many people as we possibly can, and you have the experience and the knowledge to do that. So congratulations. It's a pleasure to be on the program. Well, thank you for joining us. You know, we've heard this week that um, some news that there will be a new, a new U.S. ambassador in, in the Holy See in Rome. And I know that you have such a vast experience in that position, your role as the Holy See ambassador under, the, under President Clinton. And the ambassador has so many prime responsibilities. So could you share with us what it was like when you were appointed and what well, that I role a, was like? Yeah, Christine, I had a unique experience with uh, knowing John Paul II, I should say Carol Wojtyla, Father Bishop Wojtyla from Krakow, uh, long before he became Pope and long before I even got in politics. I grew up in the Polish neighborhood of Boston. Boston was one of the large Polish neighborhoods in the country, Boston and Chicago. And uh, right after the, during, before the Second World War, in, uh, in fact, 1939, that's where I, when I was born, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Polish people, Polish Jews, came to Boston, Chicago. And, uh, and so that's where I lived. I lived right in that neighborhood. And one time in 1969, September 1969, uh, Bishop Wojtyla uh, made his first visit to the United States, and he came to our church, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and uh, that's how I got to know him. And I developed a relationship with him, which lasted all these years. I went to Providence College, and I went to Harvard, and I studied economics in large part, and I studied the economics of social justice with Catholic faith. And uh, I always had this conversation with uh, Pope John Paul II about it. So it was an exciting opportunity for me to serve our country, the United States, to the church that I believe and love and faith and, 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 stay, and be a friend, continue our friendship with a man that I admired greatly, uh, Pope John Paul II. So it was a, a, a remarkable experience, uh, almost five years that I had with John Paul II. I traveled all over, the, all over Italy, all over the world uh, with him, and uh, it was a great, great experience to be able to, 
to meet John Paul II, work with him so closely, practically two or three times a week, meet people like Mother Teresa, spend time with her, uh, work on different projects in India and Africa. So it was a great experience uh, for me, Christina, and, um, you know, based on my politic, political experience and life experience, I think we were able to represent the United States, and I know uh, Callista Ginrich, the yes. new uh, United States ambassador to the Holy See, is also going to have um, a unique and wonderful experience because she has a lot of, she's a good Catholic and she has a good uh, a good background in politics, and that's very very important as well. Well, let me ask you, um, Your Excellency, if did she uh, contact you at all before she went over to ask you any advice? Yeah, she when when her name was mentioned, I. I contacted her and I said, uh, you know, I, I think this would be a great uh, uh, appointment by the president, by President Trump. And uh, you ought to think seriously about it. And I tried to tell her about some of the um, some of the things that she would be doing. And uh, I think that kind of helped her understand, you know, that this is not a ceremonial position being United States ambassador to the Vatican. In fact, it, it was one of the. It is one of the most important diplomatic positions in the world. You know, the the, the various diplom, diplomats from France and Great Britain and different places out in Germany used to say to me all the, all the time. They always used to refer to the Vatican as the world's most important listening posts. Wow. At first, I didn't understand that. Uh, but what then I mean? soon learned that the listening post means that all the people, all the voices, all the opinions of the world, from Mozambique to Bombay, all come filtering to the Vatican. And it's all based on what is in the best interest of people, not in economics or, or buildings or, or, or any of those economic things. It's all about moral, moral imperatives, moral judgment. So that's... That's what I thought government should be about. It should be about helping people and about getting things done and supporting and servicing people who need help. That's what the Catholic Church does, and that's what uh, the United States ambassador to the Vatican does. He kind that he or she tries to kind of expedite and make that put those policies in place. So I feel good about Callista Gingrich. I really do. I I feel uh, I, when I talk to her. She was, uh, and, and I had gone to the Vatican with her before. Oh. Uh, I took her to the Vatican with, uh, with a group of people there uh, to, for the uh, funeral of John Paul II and for the beatification, uh, the sainthood of John yes. Paul II and Mother Teresa. So she knows. She's no she stranger the to the she Vatican. Has a pretty good experience. She's no stranger to the Vatican. Uh, Not at all. Is it a difficult role? I mean, when you were going between uh, President Bill Clinton and the Pope, or the Pope would give you a message, and then you would have to go to the president. Share with us what that was like, and then uh, tell us what it will be like for um, Ambassador Gingrich to be working with Pope Francis. Well, in all humility, I, I think most people around here in Boston, I was president of the United States Conference of Mayors, uh, in, in addition to being being mayor of Boston for 10 years, but I've been in politics 40 years. And I've worked really with, even before this position, I worked with popes and presidents and prime ministers and 
you know, I was involved in the peace and justice movement in Northern Ireland and the social justice movements in, in other parts of uh, in Poland with solidarity. So, I mean, I had some pretty good worldwide experience. So, you know, it was it was an opportunity for uh, for me to apply some of those experiences that I had. But I developed, uh, I developed even more experience, and I think that's what's uh, that's what's going to happen. And you learn from Christina. You really learn. I think you'll. I think we all find out in life that we learn from other people. And I, you know, I work with John W. McCormick, who was the United States Speaker of the House of Representatives, yes. who was the heartbeat away from the presidency when Jack Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. So, I mean, I had that experience of watching and working and understanding all this, all these different people. So I had this, um, this built-in experience politically as, as much as anybody in, the, in America today. Um, well, that's so, very you know, true. I see the value that, that can be done by the Vatican. So uh, what do you think the relationship will be between um, uh, Ambassador Gingrich and Pope Francis? He's a different pope than Pope John Paul was. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, very different, a very different pope. Um, but, you know, uh, Ambassador Gingrich, I think, has a pretty good understanding of, of not only the church, I know she does, but she has a great understanding of, of politics. And you don't set policy as an ambassador. You implement the policies that, are, that come by way of the president and the messages that come by way of the, the Holy Father. So that's what you are. You're kind of the facilitator, and you kind of put the, the most accurate spin on it. You can't make up your own you know, comments about it, and I think that's what she will do very well. And I think, you know, regardless of party, regardless of ideology, uh, a good ambassador makes things happen and reflects the values of the people of the United States and presents those to the Catholic Church and to the Holy Father. I think that'll work out very well. Wow, that's really great advice, and, and thank you for sharing that experience. You know, I'd like to also move on, um, because you were the mayor of Boston, you know Massachusetts so well, and uh, being that you were raised there, you and your wife Catherine and your family, you know about how the Catholic Church was who you know services the immigrants there for many many years what is the situation of immigrants today now and tell us well, a little I, bit about the the catholic yeah, church I come from I come from a, a family and an experience of, of immigrants we're irish uh, irish people that came from ireland with really nothing came over on the so-called coffin ships and settled in boston by the way, the port of Boston, where it came into, which was the port of entry into the United States way back during the the famine, the Great Famine, the hunger. Um, you know, that's named after me now, but it's really named after immigrant population, whether it be Italian or Polish, Lithuanian or whatever it is. But we have a great culture and a great history, and I learned that and I saw that. I'm a dock worker myself, a member of the International Longshoremen's Association. So, you know, that's what, you know, I, I really think we have to come up with a, a policy in the United States that doesn't, you know, that respects all people, all, all, not just immigrants, but everybody, and everybody's welcome, everybody's entitled to a 
a, a, a hope and, and a dream of, of America for their children. So, you know, that there's a challenge going on here in the country. Nobody's figured out how to deal with it. Government hasn't. Uh, government in Washington, D.C. is polarized. It's divided. It can't figure out how to deal with this complex immigrant problem. And uh, I, I, I think that's sad and it's tragic. And at some point in time, I think government has to bring people on board into the government that understand the immigrant culture, understand how they can contribute, they can live by the law, abide by the law, raise families, be productive citizens, educate their kids. That's what it's all about. It's not about drugs and smuggling people and drugs over the border. We've got to figure out how we're going to end that and just bring in good people who are going to be good for the United States, which, by the way, made the United States the great melting pot and the great country that it always was. Um, Ambassador, you mentioned um, about uh, the Catholic Church, and uh, there's so many Catholic hospitals uh, that are there. Can you share with us, is there uh, any drug problem with the young people there? What What do you know about... Um, this Oxycontin and these drugs that are going into all kinds of neighborhoods and communities. Yeah, the, 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 the health care system I'm, I'm very disappointed in, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that uh, we're not really reaching out. We're not doing the kind of work that we should do. I know that in my neighborhood, you know, I'm going to a, a funeral, two, two funerals every week at least, of people that young people OD'd on drugs. Now, you know where they get the drugs? They go into the hospital and they complain about some kind of pain that they're having. They're prescribed these, um, these uh, medications and they go out and, and buy them and then sell them for, 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 for high prices and, and, and addicting young people on these drugs. The, the, the availability of drugs, deadly drugs like oxycodone is so readily available in streets and neighborhoods and cities like Boston, New York, and Chicago, that it, Philadelphia, it is really tragic. And, you know, we've got to stand up and take a stand. And like the hospitals, you know, like a lot of, we had a lot of great Catholic hospitals and Catholic schools. Yes. Unfortunately, a lot of them are closing. Uh, well, thank you so, for sharing that with us, um, uh, Ambassador yeah. Flynn. I'd love to do another program with you just on on the Catholic hospital and medicine and so forth. But um, sure, I'm happy you know, to. Since we're running out of a little bit of time, I do want to just mention what is the name of the park that's been named after you in Boston? It's the Ray Flynn Industrial Park and the Ray Flynn Cruise Port. All the major cruise ships that come in from Europe and across the world all come into the Ray Flynn Cruise Port in in the city of Boston. I'm proud of that. That's quite an honor. So I'd like to thank thank you. you so much, Your Excellency, for your wonderful service to the Catholic Church and to our country. And may God bless you and your family and keep going and we'll keep you in our prayers. You, you, you're going to give a needed voice to the Catholic community in the United States, Christina, and I'm so proud of that. Oh, thank you so much. Catholics in the Capitol will return right after this break on 1160 AM WMET.
Hi, this is Dan DiBiase, General Manager of WMET 1160 AM. We kicked off our capital campaign two months ago, and so far we've raised over $500,000 of the $2.8 million that we need to purchase WMET. We only have 10 months remaining to raise the remaining $2.3 million. We ask for your help to secure WMET 1160 AM as a Catholic voice for the area for years to come. If you cannot make a monetary donation at this time, please reach out to us to learn other ways you can help the capital campaign. Please visit our website at www.grnonline.com for more information or call us at 877-636-1160. That is 877-636-1160. Or you can email us at wmet at grnonline.com. Again, that's wmet at grnonline.com. Please pray for the success of this project. The Cathedral of St. Matthew in Washington, D.C. presents its annual Concert of Remembrance, honoring deceased family and friends on Sunday, November 5th. Starting at 7.30 p.m., this one-hour concert is in the form of a Requiem Mass and includes motets by various composers. Director of Music Thomas Steele conducts the Schola Cantorum, accompanied by organist Paul Hardy. The concert is free and open to the public. For more information, go to stmatthewscathedral.org slash music. St. John Neumann Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland is bringing in Dr. Scott Hahn for a special presentation. On November 11th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Dr. Hahn will be giving his presentation, Living the Sacrifice, the Gospel According to St. Paul. The cost for the event is $15 per person in advance, $20 at the door. All participants should bring their own lunch. For more information or to register online, go to stjohnneumann.org. That's S-A-I-N-T, johnneumann.org. This is Bishop Michael Burbage of the Catholic Diocese of Arlington. Whether priests or parents, siblings or coaches, everyone can and should be a role model. I have spoken with parents who will remember the first time their child copied one of their less than admirable characteristics. What a wake-up call. Someone always seems to be watching us, what we do and how we present ourselves, not just children, but fellow adults as well. So instead of shying away from this attention, let us embrace the fact that we can be role models for others. It is a good idea to look to historical figures, saints, or relatives as people we would like to emulate. There is also a role model that we can trust with absolute certainty, Jesus Christ, who tells us, as I have done, so must you do. Welcome back to Catholics in the Capital. Here's your host, Christina Cox. I like this part of the show for Father Jack Hurley is a priest and a resident at the Cathedral of St. Matthew's the Apostle. I'd like to say hi to Father Jack, and how are you today? I'm fine, thank you, even though it's become suddenly a little cooler. <laughs> we have beautiful weather here in Washington. We're lucky. You know, we have one of the most known Catholic holidays coming up this month, and it begins with All Saints Day and All Souls Day. I've heard that All Saints Day not only recognizes the saints, but also their associates and followers. It's a time to recognize all those who have been canonized and under consideration. Uh, the feast day started, I, I read, in England in the 8th century and is known as All Hallows Day. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, of course, that's uh, where All Halloween comes from, the evening. 
before uh, All Hallows Day or as November 1st, now is generally celebrated by the church, uh, here at least in the English-speaking world, as All Saints Day. And as you pointed out, while there are different understandings of saints, indeed we all potentially become saints with our baptism, all those sanctified by the grace of Christ, yet on this day we remember especially those either through popular acclaim or formal canonization whom the church recognizes to be with the Lord in heaven and who are commemorated and invoked in the church's public worship. And here I think of the several men and women portrayed, for example, in the mural at the entrance to St. Matthew's Cathedral, who in many various ways have been important in the establishment of the faith in the Americas. And likewise, I rejoice in the many included in the main doom of the Basilica of the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, which is soon to be dedicated on December 8th. The saints also intercede for us, and so no one prayer to them, which I consider like a thank you note, and so one prayer to them, which I would consider to be like a thank you note, might be as follows. Blessed Mother Mary and all you saints, especially those whom I frequently call upon, like St. Joseph and St. Anthony, thank you for your support in my times of need. Please don't stop. And certainly please aid me when that day comes to rejoice with you and with the Lord forever in heaven. Amen. Amen, Father. Well, that is a beautiful prayer. Now, could you also tell us now All All Souls Day, which is the following day, what is that? Can you tell us the difference between the Saints Day and the Souls Day? For example, they um, used to call it the Day of the Dead, or I also read that back in Spain in the 7th century, it used to be called by Catholics, the commemoration of the faithful departed. What does that mean? Well, um, as you pointed out, on November 2nd, when we feast, celebrate the Feast of uh, All Souls, uh, formally it is known as the commemoration of all the faithful departed. And so, and it is a remembrance of the lives of loved ones who have gone before us in death, but who still may need prayers for their deliverance from purgatory into heaven. And naturally, there is a focus on family and friends who may have died during this past year. Thus, this year, I pray for my former pastor, Monsignor Ralph Kuna, an amazing Christian who did so much for the needy, the homeless, the elderly, and ecumenical relations here in the Washington Archdiocese. Likewise, I remember my cousin Ellen, my former Providence College roommate Brian, and a close friend Rich, Rick tragically drowned in a climbing accident in Chile. Now, the, the Council of Trent, the Second Vatican Council, and the Vatic- Catechism agree that souls detained in purgatory are helped by our acts of intercession for them, especially by remembering them in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And certainly the prayer that has emerged as a key here is the simple but meaningful, may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Here I will never forget Mary, a quiet elderly lady in Little Flower Parish up in Bethesda, 
to whom I would bring communion from time to time. In the month of November, as her health was failing, whenever she spoke, it was to repeat that prayer for the holy souls. Amazingly, she was called to the Lord on December 1st. I say amazingly, perhaps fittingly, because I could not help but think, wow, she certainly was prepared. Well, that is so beautiful, Father. And let's reach out to those that are listening today to Catholics in the Capitol. You're listening to Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews. And uh, Father also has a Saturday Bible study at the Cathedral in the East Conference Room at 1030 a.m. with coffee and cake are served. And this will be on November 4th, the 11th, and the 18th this month. Father Jack, I know that there's going to be a special concert for the remembrance of all the souls, and it's a tradition at the Cathedral of St. Matthews. Could you tell us about that? Uh, Thank you, Christine. Yes, on Sunday evening, November the 5th, uh, in the cathedral, uh, beginning at 7.30, uh, there will be a special concert that has been taking place now for the last several years, Uh, the Concert of Remembrance. And this would be, in a sense, a uh, recognition that November is, in a very special way, a time when we pray for our beloved dead. And it will be a beautiful concert. Uh, The the music uh, chosen by uh, Director of Music, Tom Staley, is is very appropriate, uh, running across you know, uh, many, many wonderful composers. It will be in the form of a requiem mass. It will not be an actual mass, of course. And the uh, choral music will come from our Schola Cantorum, a well-known choir at the cathedral. And uh, our special organist, Paul Hardy, uh, will be playing. Uh, including a piece from Bach. It is a, a very uh, uh, moving uh, evening and one in which um, those that uh, we are praying for particularly are, are, are remembered. Well, Father, that starts at 7.30, I believe, and I, I would recommend that you get there early because uh, it fills up. It's a popular concert. It, it, it is, but... Um, there's always room for someone, someone more, and uh, there's a great sign right now already out in front of the cathedral uh, announcing this. Well, wonderful. Well, Father, I just want to thank you so much, Father Hurley, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to listen to um, the saints and some sacred scripture when you stop by. Stay tuned to WMET 1160 AM. We have a special guest that will be talking about events and things to do around Washington, D.C. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dan DiBiase, General Manager of WMET 1160 AM. We kicked off our capital campaign two months ago, and so far we've raised over $500,000 of the $2.8 million that we need to purchase WMET. We only have 10 months remaining to raise the remaining $2.3 million. We ask for your help to secure WMET 1160 AM as a Catholic voice for the area for years to come. If you cannot make a monetary donation at this time, please reach out to us to learn other ways you can help the capital campaign. 
please visit our website at www.grnonline.com for more information or call us at 877-636-1160. That is 877-636-1160. Or you can email us at wmet at grnonline.com. Again, that's wmet at grnonline.com. Please pray for the success of this project. St. John Neumann Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland is bringing in Dr. Scott Hahn for a special presentation. On November 11th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., Dr. Hahn will be giving his presentation, Living the Sacrifice, the Gospel According to St. Paul. The cost for the event is $15 per person in advance, $20 at the door. All participants should bring their own lunch. For more information or to register online, go to stjohnneumann.org. That's S-A-I-N-T, johnneumann.org. Hi, welcome back. I'm Christina Cox, and I'm with Catholics in the Capitol. And now we get to the fun part of the show of what things are there to do in Washington, D.C. And guess who I have on? I have Dan, the radio man, our general manager. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hello, Christina. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, let's talk about some things to do here in the city of Washington. So if some of our listeners are in Virginia or Maryland or they're just visiting for a few days, they want to drop downtown and visit some fun places, let's talk about what are some good things to go see. Yeah, let's. And I'm looking forward to this because I know you're the person who knows what's going on around town, and so you'll give us some good tips and advice. It's true. I'm always out. After I'm working on the radio, then I'm out at night seeing what's, uh, what's happening. Well, one of the favorite things that I'd like to see, I haven't seen yet, but is the President John F. Kennedy exhibit called Creating Camelot, the Kennedy Photography by Jack Lowe. And Jack Lowe was, of course, the private photographer for for President Kennedy. And that's going to be at the News Museum, uh, which is located at 555 Pennsylvania Avenue Northwest. And it's open on Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. Um, but that museum is not free. Got to pay there. It's the tickets are twenty-one dollars, and if you want to take the kids, it's twelve dollars uh, a ticket to go see that exhibit. And lots of interesting things on the life of President Kennedy. Um, I think that we talked about uh, that they're going to release the files, right? Yeah, uh, as uh, it's already happened, they released the files. Um, and so that was under this current administration. So that should be very interesting because I know uh, a lot of people are a huge fan of President Kennedy. And we know, you know, a lot to deal with uh, his story and, you know, the assassination. So it's going to interest a lot of people. Now, Christina, we know um, you're the author of uh, Catholics in Washington, D.C. So I'm guessing you learned something about uh, President Kennedy that, you know, very few people know or not many people would know about. Can you share something with sure, us? Sure, Dan. Well, you know, I have a whole chapter of John F. Kennedy and the Catholic side of him in my book, Catholics in Washington, D.C., which you can get on Amazon.com. And I worked with the John F. Kennedy Museum and the archivist there, and they were able to um, uh, send me the pictures that I, I picked out. I think one of the most interesting pictures that I loved is the picture of John F. Kennedy's communion picture in his knickers. That was really uh, interesting. I never saw that one before. And there are many other great uh, photographs of him coming out of Mass at the Cathedral of St. Matthews. And I remember you telling me a story about uh, his mother that was uh, rather interesting. 
uh, not typical. Can you tell, uh, tell the listeners about that real quick? Well, what I, what I found out is his mother, Rose Kennedy, used to call him up, especially if it was a, a day of holy obligation, and said, Jack, don't forget to go to Mass. And he always obeyed his mother because she was the one who taught the religion to all the children in the family. So that was uh, something that always stuck in my mind. Yeah, and it, it reminds me a little, a little bit of my mother. I'm sure a lot of mothers out there who've uh, done that for their children also. And then uh, I think uh, you mentioned there's another event coming up at the, the Kennedy Center. Oh, yes. There's going to be a, um, a wonderful ballet. The Washington um, Ballet presents the Russian Masters. As you know, Dan, the, the Russians are in the news these days. So it opens up at the 2017 to 2018 Kennedy Center. We'll have a, have a season of the ballet where uh, the choreographers has shaped and influ- influenced the art form in the last 175 years. So the tickets are $25 to $140 at the Kennedy Center Eisenhower Theater. Well, thank you for those uh, two uh, wonderful events for people to check out around town. Well, thank you, Dan, the radio man, for joining us. And that was exciting to hear what's going on in Washington, D.C. Christina Cox will be right back with Dr. Robin Smith after this 30-second break. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to the Guadalupe Radio Network and being part of the family. As family, we have a duty to pray for each other, and we would be honored if you would let us pray with you and for you. You don't even have to tell us your name. Just go to our website, grnonline.com, or call our prayer request line and leave us a message at 800-395-4008. That's 800-395-4008. We will be praying for you every day. I'd like to welcome my very special guest, Robin Smith. Dr. Robin Smith is a global thought leader in the regenerative medicine industry. She received her MD from Yale University and an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. During her tenure as CEO of the Neostem family of companies from 2006 to 2015, Dr. Smith pioneered the company's innovative business model. She maintains a regular column for the Huffington Post and is co-author with Dr. Max Gomez of The Healing Cell. Dr. Smith is a winner of the 2014 Brava Award, which recognizes top women business leaders in the greater New York area. In 2016, Dr. Smith was recognized by the National Organization for Women with the Women of Power and the Influence Award from 2016 by Pope Francis, who awarded her the Dame Commander with Star Pontifical Equestrian Order of the Saint Sylvester Pope and Martyr. And in 2017, Dr. Smith received the Lifetime Achievement in Healthcare and Science Award by the National Museum of Art and Library. Well, welcome, Dr. Smith. It's so great to have you on the program today. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking at your brand new book that will be coming out in a few weeks called Cells of the New Cure and is written by you and also Dr. Max Gomez. And it has an interesting intro by the famous Sanjay Kupta. Can you tell me how you have got the idea of the book, how long it took you to um, come about? And can you tell us about adult stem cell research and what is the difference between that and embryonic? 
Absolutely. Well, we're learning so much about our immune system and the cells that we have in our body. And in their in the body, we have what are called stem cells. And there is different types of stem cells, different sources. So an adult stem cell comes from tissue that is not an embryo. Mm-hmm. So the, the point is that it's the cells of our body that helps us to repair. And as we get older, we lose that ability. So what we're learning is that you can take these cells, do something to them, either uh, make them in more quantities and give them back. You can do some manipulation of the DNA and you can affect the cells to help a person heal better, to cure diseases and repair tissue. Well, that's fascinating. I see in your book you have a, you have a couple of chapters, one on repairing the brain and, of course, how stem cells and cancer can relate. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, one of the most extraordinary advances that we've seen uh, over the last few years is the technology around cancer. And what we've realized is, again, you can use your immune system to actually get rid of cancer cells. And so the idea is, how do you make your T cells and more um, effective in killing cancer cells. And there are two ways to do that. You can either do something to the cancer cells to make them more visible to those cells that destroy them, the T cells or the natural killer cells, or you could make those fighter cells more active in killing the cells and to do it in such a way that you destroy cancer cells but not the good tissue. And we're starting to do that better and better now and seeing more advances that give us real hope for curing cancer. Yes. Now, I see you have a lot of doctors that you work with or speak with on this subject. Um, And then you have um, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who has done your foreword. Tell us about him and how he is related to the book. So, um, you know, we had the opportunity. We have a relationship with the Vatican, and we do a conference every few years, and he was with us in 2016. And, you know, he's an extraordinary journalist. He's actually a neurosurgeon in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And it's It was really remarkable, I think, even to him, to see such extraordinary technology emerging so rapidly. And I think that's what's really important is people need hope and to understand that some of these uh, solutions to the diseases they or their families have are not that far away. It's not science fiction. People are really working on these things. And that, um, you know, it not only is it hope for, for them, their families, their their children, um, but also to take a look at how this will impact society. If we live longer, what does that mean? Um, and, you know, what does that do to the workforce? What does that do um you know, to feed all of the people. Um, you know, many people say that people end up living to an average age of 120 and even working to 100 years wow. of age. So that's very different and that the jobs people will have aren't even jobs that are out today. So I think technology is really impacting the way we live and the way we will deliver, um, you know, services in the future. Well, that's very exciting. I think that gives a lot of us a lot of hope, especially for people that may have a rare disease that cannot be cured or they don't know what, uh, you know, basically it's not something that is known. Absolutely. And a very large percentage of rare diseases actually affect children. And so there's over 7,000 rare diseases, but each one affects a small population of individuals. So it often doesn't get 
focused on and targeted. And, and at our conference, even Pope Francis talked about the importance of helping those who can't help themselves and investing in research for rare diseases. And, and you know, we're seeing a lot of developments now um, with gene therapy in being able to affect those damaged genes um, and, mm-hmm. and help repair some of those, the tissue that, you know, kills the children. I think that's very interesting that Pope Francis does have an interest in medicine and, and um, adult st- stem cell research. Can you tell us about the foundation that you work with there in the Vatican and the partnership? Absolutely. Well, we started about eight years ago uh, to really help people understand that they don't have to choose between science and faith. They don't have to be at odds and to build bridges between individuals and without prejudice, bring people together to help humanity and and tackle some of these larger issues, you know, healthcare issues that are affecting people worldwide. So it's been a tremendous partnership. We've written uh, a book. We've had three conferences and um, a lot of very influential people have come together to help make technical science, something that everyone can understand of where we're going today, what it will be in the future, and um, really work together to make a difference. So the interest in in adult uh, stem cell is you don't have to be Catholic to go to the Vatican. You bring them from, you know, all religions, all uh, faiths, right? Absolutely. Yes, and people often will comment on the fact that I'm Jewish. Uh So it really is about, I mean, I'm a physician, and obviously, you know, it's in my DNA and my core to do good and and give to other people Mm -hmm. and, you know, to help. So it's been an incredible partnership of really uniting people, everything from media to, you know, help us take that technical science and put it into layman's terms, the patients, to, to have them show how much this influences their lives, the caregivers, so much we've often we forget that when someone's ill, it affects the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it, it's important policymakers to help make decisions and, and understand how to be safe, but yet help accelerate bringing these cures to people in need so that those that are sick today don't have to, you know, wait the many years, um, which they may not be able to. So um, we really try and unite all the different stakeholders and, and have people uh, understand what the barriers are to bringing these therapies to the market um, and, and work together. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking and interviewing Dr. Robin Smith, who has written a book called Cells Are the New Cure. So we're continuing, and I would like to ask Dr. Smith, how do you feel about prayer, faith, and healing together? You know, it's very interesting. There's so much that shows that there is an integral um, relationship. And actually, Max Gomez uh, did a story once, and he looked at centurions, people who lived over the age of 100, and he found out that irrespective of their religions and race, the one thing they all had in common was faith. So it's it's a very interesting area, and what we're realizing is healthcare dollars don't necessarily equate to being healthier. Mm-hmm. It's not that if you spend more in healthcare, you get a healthier population. So there are other things that that influence health and and well-being, right. and uh, I think we're learning more about that. Well, the stem cell 
of Life Foundation. That's uh, your foundation, right, that you are the founder of? Yeah, we started with Stem for Life, and that was really focused on adult stem cells, and that's the ability to use these cells to treat diseases and repair tissue without having to destroy an embryo. You don't need to use the embryonic stem cells. And then we expanded that to cell therapy Mm -hmm. uh, and have the Cura Foundation. So we have Stem for Life is a member of the Cura Foundation. Um, about drug libraries and DNA, and um, you have pictures and stories of people in here that is very good. Um, Also, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Smith, that um, you have given a philanthropy award to Sean Parker from the Parker Institute. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Well, you know, he's been an incredible philanthropist, and I think in two ways. One is he's really shown how um, you can use social media and the Internet for philanthropy, which is, you know, the new media on communication. But also he launched an immunotherapy institute called the Parker Institute in 2016. And the idea is to have philanthropy drive innovation to patients. So how do you get people to work together to leverage off of what dollars are being spent in different institutions and that people can keep their proprietary information, but yet enhance the technologies getting to patients more quickly. And he's, he was originally with the Facebook uh, founder or it was Facebook uh, and then Napster. Uh-huh. He was the president of Facebook. Well, that's quite impressive. I, um, looking at um, your third international conference, I see that you had the vice president, Joe Biden, there last year. It was really an incredible addition to the conference, especially with his son, Beau, who had died of brain cancer. And again, focusing on cancer is one of the areas where we're seeing tremendous technology. You know, he really pointed out the importance of of the fact that we've spent so much money on cancer research and, and haven't necessarily seen, um, you know, the fruits of those dollars, and that actually only 5% of people with cancer get into those clinical trials. And we need to, um, you know, do our best to enhance the availability and knowledge so that people who do have an illness, a cancer, are able to seek care. Um, even if it's not in the region where they live and how to do that and how to invest in in these technologies and work together. So it was a tremendous addition uh, to the conference and and very exciting to have him. And I I think some of us know out there that the Pontifical Council of Culture is also headed up by Cardinal Ravazzi. And what was he like to uh, work with at the Vatican? You know, Cardinal Ravazzi is just an incredibly brilliant man. and And he's really a, a religious scholar and a biblical scholar and he he's very positive so his what what really struck me about him was was this view that we need to be positive let's get people to be encouraged of what's good instead of saying necessarily what they shouldn't do and so he's really embraced differences building bridges between cultures and religions, and really has been very effective in helping us pull this entire vision together, bring these extraordinary people, and really make a difference in the world. So it's been really an honor to work with him uh, over these last seven years. Do you think there'll be a fourth international conference? Well, we're working on it, and we're hoping very soon to have an announcement for 2018. It's an exciting time. We've had the support of Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, and we believe that that uh, we need to think about global issues in health and how we can improve care 
and bring solutions to people worldwide. Before we go, uh, Dr. Smith, will you tell us how we can get the book? Absolutely. You can go to Amazon. Um, it'll be in book form with the hardcover, and it will also be in audio. Um, and also the website, www.cellsarethenewcure. So we hope people will come and buy the book, and especially if you know someone who's sick or has an illness, it really uh, hopefully will bring them hope and encouragement of how close we really are to tackling many of these diseases and illnesses. Well, thank you very much, and we will pray for your success and your work there, and we wish you well. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we'd like to thank Dr. Robin Smith. I mean, she's just so amazing, and I thank her for coming on. What a great interview uh, she was, and we wish her a lot, a lot of luck with her new book that's coming out this week called Cells of the New Cure. You know, that wraps up our show for today, and I hope that you enjoyed listening to our special guests, the former U.S. Ambassador Raymond Flynn of the Holy See, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews, and Dr. Robin Smith, author of The Sales for the New Cure. You won't want to miss our next show next Friday at 1 p.m. when our special guest will take us to Jake Heater of the All Saints Museum in San Jose, California, and our regular guest host, Father Jack. He will talk about some important history of the Cathedral of St. Matthews the Apostle and one of the most beautiful cathedral churches in the world. And then we're going to have Al Zapanta, the president of the U.S.-Mexican Chamber of Commerce, and he will share some news with us on the conference he's hosting in the Library of Congress. This show would not be possible without the generosity and donors like you to the La Promesa Foundation, Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'd like to thank you all for your support. And here's an invitation by St. Pope John Paul. His Holiness said... Open your hearts wide to Jesus Christ and his great love for us. And let us make the world a better place to reflect God's glory and his love. I am Christina Cox, your host for Catholics in the Capitol at WMET 1160 AM. Join us next week and God bless.